0: look everywhere else and everything else, everyone else, but Jesus is what we need. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to Revelation again. Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, perhaps you heard about the man who lost his electricity. He had no TV, no DVR, and no music, and not only that, his cell phone was dead and there was no way to charge it. So he decided to, went to, he decided to go to the uh, kitchen and make himself a cup of coffee. Remember that without electricity, he couldn't even do that. And so when the man was in the kitchen, he noticed that his wife was in the kitchen. So he sat down and talked with her. You know, he said later, she seemed like a really nice lady.
1: <laughs>
0: How many times do we allow the things and the stuff around us To rob us of that which is most important. Now, while that's true on a personal relationship basis with the people we love, I think it's especially true when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, he's the one who blesses us and gives us such wonderful gifts. But we get so caught up with the gifts, we forget the giver at times. We've been studying through, we've gone through six chapters so far in the book of Revelation, And we're coming here to the seventh chapter this morning, and um, one of the things that's impressed me, I think, in a tremendous way as I've been studying the book and as we've studied it together, is the emphasis on worship. Have you noticed that? How many times we find ourselves in the throne room of God, and we see the angels worshiping and the elders worshiping and people worshiping, uh, the saints worshiping the Lord? But as you remember, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And I've been working hard and we've been working hard to keep our focus stayed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we're covering those things that we might consider wild and weird. They're not. But even in the midst of covering the prophecy that we find in the book, we're not covering it to the exclusion of Jesus. This is about Jesus. And we keep coming back to the throne room of God and the throne and the land before the throne, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest with you. If you were here last week, last week's study was heavy. I mean, it was heavy. We saw this scroll and we saw seals open and we saw the wrath of God being poured out upon unbelieving, unrepentant people. And this is taking place during the tribulation period. You know, I've shared with you. As we've been going through the study, different things. And I shared this chart with you. If you don't have a copy, they're back on the lobby table. But we've come through the point now in the study we're looking at to where the rapture's already taken place. That's the next great event on the prophetic timetable. Jesus is coming to get us those who belong to him. And we're going to be caught up together and go to heaven. Then there may be a short period of time, but then there will be something called the tribulation period, which will begin seven years We have it divided on there. It's three and a half years and three and a half years. And we find ourselves in that time. But what's interesting today, though, is the fact that we're going to take a brief interlude. We're looking at those first six seals and the judgments that come. And then there's this interlude, this parenthesis, if you will, here in chapter seven. Now, before we jump into this passage this morning, let me give you something very, very important. And that's this. Why is there... A tribulation period. Why is there a tribulation? I mean, that's, a, that's an important question, I think. What is the purpose of it? We're looking at this time of the wrath of God and, and all these things that are going to happen. Well, why is there a tribulation time? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got the answer, I hope, for you. There's basically three main thoughts concerning this. First of all, it's to judge unrepentant sinners. Those who will not receive the grace of God, those who will not receive the gift of God, those who will not respond to God's graciousness and kindness and love. There's coming a day where God's going to judge the unrepentant sinners. And we see that taking place, do we not? Before our eyes in this study, we saw it in tremendous way last week. But then there's a second important thing. And that is one of the reasons for the tribulation period we find is to bring the nation of Israel to the Savior to bring his people to himself, you might want to jot those references down. Daniel 9:24 and Romans 11:26. And so he's going to keep his promises to Abraham. He's going to fulfill those promises, and part of this is to bring the nation of Israel to the Savior. And there's a third thing here. it's a wonderful thing. We're going to begin seeing it today, and that's this is to bring many people to salvation. To bring many people to salvation, yes, many people are going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ during this awful time upon planet Earth. We'll study, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But let's go ahead and get to the passage at hand, Revelation chapter seven. Now we're in between the sixth seal that Christ has opened on that scroll and the seventh seal. And I gave you a chart last week, and in fact, there's what tells you where the focus is. As we move from looking at earth back to heaven, earth to heaven throughout the book. And I gave you a chart to help you to know where are we looking at? And as we read today, the first part of this passage is focusing upon the earth verses one through eight, looking at the earth. And then nine through 17, we're looking toward heaven. Now, I'm excited about this because after last week, I needed some encouragement. I mean, that was heavy, looking at the wrath of God. Uh, But uh, we find here what Lockyer calls a parenthesis of grace. I thought about it. I would probably call it grace and glory in the midst of doom and gloom. Grace and glory in the midst of doom and gloom. All that's going on, all the judgment. And then we have this grace and glory of God. Would you follow along as I read Revelation chapter 7? And I'll begin reading there at verse number 1. And we'll read through the entire chapter. Revelation chapter 7. The Bible says after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having a seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth. And the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. We have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Are you getting the picture? Same number. Of uh, the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of uh, the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. 144,000 sealed. Focus there was upon the earth. Now we turn our attention toward heaven. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came or who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Father, bless your word to our heart. Speak to our hearts now, I pray. May we respond in faith and obedience in Jesus name. Amen. I told you that we were going to fast forward and pick up the pace in this second part of the study. You know, In the first part of Revelation, we took our time and we studied in depth the seven churches and the message of the seven churches. And we picked up the pace in the second part of the study. But try as I might, and I tried, I could not get all of chapter seven in one message. In fact, today is going to be part one. And next Sunday, guess what part it's going to be? Part two. I don't think I'd be doing justice to the passage or justice to you to try to get it all done by noon today. And so we're going to come back to part two to, uh, next week, OK? And by the way, I'm assuming most of you can be back next week, by the way. I- I'm just going to assume that you've made up your mind. I know some are traveling. You can get on the podcast, OK? I- I'm assuming that most of those who call this church home, you're going to be here. Now, I'm proved wrong many times. The children's choir are going to sing. So I hope you'll be back next week. By the way, don't wait till Sunday morning to decide if you're going to come to church. Don't wait till Saturday night to decide. You need to make up your mind right now that we're going to be in church. Because if you wait till Sunday morning, guess what? You're going to roll over in the bed and push snooze. I did this morning, but I still made it.
1: You
0: need to make up your mind to be in God's house. So we're going to do part one. This is a little bit unusual, but part one today, part two next week. And if you have to work, I understand some have to work. You can get the recording. You can catch up. I'm going to go ahead and lay my cards out on the table this morning. I'm going to let you know what the proposition statement, the big idea, the big theme of the sermon today. And I want you to sit with me. is this God is worthy of our trust, worship and service. God is worthy of our trust, worship and service. Would you say that out loud with me? Would you read it out loud? God is worthy of our trust, worship and service. Now, some of you are thinking you're not going to say it out loud. But you're thinking, well, duh. I mean, he's God. Surely He's worthy of our trust and our worship and our service. Yes, He's worthy of them, but do we give them to Him? It's one thing to be worthy, but do we actually give them to them? It may be because we're like the guy with the electricity or without electricity beginning the message. We really don't know God that well. We haven't spent enough time with the Lord. We haven't taken the time to dig deeply into His Word. We haven't come to grips with the heart that He has for us. This passage shows us in fresh ways how marvelously wonderful our God really is. Now, that's a big, bold statement. Not just in the type font, not just on the screen, but that's a bold statement say that God is worthy of our trust, worship, and service. I'm not saying you could do this. I'm not saying it would be nice if you would give God your trust and your worship and your service. I'm saying it's a must for us. It is due Him. He is worthy of it. And I want to prove that big, bold statement to you from this passage. I want to show it to you today. And I want to come back next week and show it to you from the rest of the passage. He is worthy of our trust, our worship, and our service. Why? Well, the very first reason I want to submit to you from this passage of why He is worthy is because He is sovereign. God is sovereign. To put it another way, we can say that God is in control. Not just some control. He is in total control. I love this verse. You might want to drop this reference down. Psalm 135, verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 6. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. Psalm 135, 6. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. I love that. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Whatever He wants to do, He does. He's in total, complete control. He is sovereign. And we see that truth here in Revelation chapter 7, do we not? Now think about all that's going on on the earth. All hell is broken loose on the earth, chapter 6. It seems that everything's out of control. But in reality, everything's under His control. He's in complete and total control. Now we see that here in Revelation chapter 7, in verses 1 through 3, we have five angels that appear. Four of them are holding the four winds of the earth, north, south, east, and west. And they're holding those winds from blowing, and they're winds of judgment. And they're holding back those winds. And a fifth angel rises from the east, and he has a seal, the seal of God. And this angel is going to go forth and he's going to seal 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there are those who want to take this passage and they want to spiritualize it. They want to say, well, no, what you really have here is these are not really the tribes and these are not really Jews. But beloved, let me tell you here, this, listen, these 144,000 are not, as they claim, these are not Jehovah's Witnesses. These 144,000 are not Seventh-day Adventists. They're Jews. I don't know how much plainer God could have made the Bible at this point. He takes the time to say, listen, out of the tribe of Judah, out of the tribe of uh, Gad and Asher and Naphtali, it is as plain as the ink on the paper there. These are 144,000 Jews that are sealed. And we said one of the reasons for the tribulation time is what? To bring the nation of Israel to the Savior, to bring the nation of Israel back to God. And so we have a beginning of that here, a part of that here. Now, real quick, there's some questions that are already popping up in your mind, probably. First of all, who are these 144,000 people? Well, obviously, we already know that they're Jews from the 12 tribes that are mentioned here. Now, if we fast forward in time, we see them mentioned again in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 14. Look at Revelation 14, 1 through 5 with me. It says, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him one hundred and forty four thousand, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps Look at verse three. It's on the screen in front of you. They sang as it were a new song before the throne. Before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So they can sing a special song nobody else can sing. Now notice what it says about these 144,000. These are those or these are the ones who were not defiled with women. They were pure. For they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so we see very clearly there that these are 144,000 Jews that are sealed by God. They're sealed by God. Well, that brings up another question, doesn't it? And it's this. As we continue looking here, what is this seal and what is it for? Well, what kind of seal is this? Adrian Rogers said back in the Bible days when this was written, a seal basically stood for three things. A seal stood for possession, protection, and preservation. He says in the same way God had put a seal of possession, protection, and preservation upon these 144,000 souls. Why? Because God has a special job for them, and they must be kept safe. Otherwise, the Antichrist... Would obliterate these people. This seal shows ownership. It shows protection. It shows preservation. This is a seal that shows that God owns these people and God protects these people. Listen to Revelation 9, four. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have. The seal of God on their foreheads. So judgment was going to fall upon anyone who did not have this seal on them. See, the seal was protecting them, showing they belonged to God. Revelation 16:2. So the first went and poured out his bowl. These are bowl judges. We'll study later. Bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped His image. Very specific there. You think, well, can God protect these people? All these judgments going on, and God can protect these people? Well, yeah, think about the plagues in Egypt. Did not God send plagues upon Egypt, but He protected His own people? God can protect His people. Think about the three Hebrews children in the fiery furnace. <laughs> they went in there, and the only thing burnt up was the ropes. They didn't even smell like smoke. The fourth man appeared like the Son of Man, the Son of God. God can protect his people, and this seal protects them. But there's another question here. and this was the seal visible? Is it a literal, visible seal upon their forehead? I believe it is. Just as the Antichrist will mark those who belong to him with the mark of the beast, I believe that God will mark these upon their forehead. I think it's visible because it says specifically it was on their forehead. Did you catch that? Revelation 14.1. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty four thousand, having his father's name written on their foreheads. They're sealed. Can I just say to you by the way, we're sealed too? And that's not on our forehead. The Bible says that as believers we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Write this reference down, Ephesians 1 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth... The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed. Listen, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In that same book, Ephesians four, verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. He indwells you. He desires to fill you and use you. And bring about His work. And He's working to make you more like Christ. We're sealed as well. Hallelujah. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. But these 144,000 Jews have a special seal from God upon their foreheads, it says. Well, here's another question. And that's this. What do the 144,000 do? What is it going to do? I mean, obviously, God is taking great lengths. He's chosen them. He's sealed them. He's protecting them. He's preserving them. What are they going to do? Well, they're called servants. Literally slaves of God. And while it doesn't state it, I think the passage shows, because if you read about them, then you read about this great multitude of believers. I believe that these 144,000 Jews, these servants, these slaves, I believe that they're witnesses, they're evangelists. They're out sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, I told you that one of the purposes of the tribulation is to see many people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it, it appears as we study, it appears that greater numbers will come to Christ after the church is at home in heaven than while we're here. I mean, multitudes of people. You read about it there. It says no one can number the amount of people that came. I think about watching the Billy Graham crusades from days gone by. And you watch that and you see when he gives the invitation, you see thousands of people flock. Imagine that multiplied over and over and over and over and over again. Imagine 144,000 out sharing the gospel. They're protected. They're preserved. They belong to God. And they're sharing the gospel. People will get saved in large numbers, as we'll specifically see next week as you come back. But the question, of course, rises if the church is gone. How will people hear? The gospel during the tribulation. Now, remember where we are. We're not here with 144,000. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, if you have Jesus as your Savior, the rapture's already taking place. You're in heaven. All oh, hell's going on on earth. How do people hear? I mean, I'm not here preaching yet. How do people hear the gospel? I mean, we're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? That's what we're supposed to do. The Great Commission. But we're raptured with Jesus. We're in heaven. Hell's breaking How are they going to hear? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to share it with you. First of all, I believe the 144,000 will proclaim it. They'll share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll share the gospel. There's a second way they'll hear it. And that is two witnesses will proclaim it. Put your finger there. Turn to chapter 11 and look at verse 3. Chapter 11, verse 3. We'll get there eventually in our study, God willing. Revelation 11, verse 3. God says in his word, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. You've got one hundred forty four thousand, I think, out preaching it. You've got these two witnesses preaching it, And then if that's not enough, an angel will proclaim the gospel. Go to chapter 14, verse six. Now, can I just be honest with you? I don't know why God chose us in the first place. He could have used much better means, could he not? But he chose to use us. And you look at the original people that he chose, but they turned the world upside down. But look at what it says in Revelation 14, 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. So an angel is going to be in the midst of it preaching the gospel. Inviting people to the Lord Jesus Christ. People are going to get saved in droves, thankfully, during the tribulation time. 144,000 are going to proclaim it. The two witnesses will proclaim it. An angel will proclaim it. Then there is a fourth way that some see, and I think it's an accurate one as well. And there's a silent witness that will be proclaiming the gospel. What is that, preacher? Well, think about all the gospel books, all the gospel CDs, all the gospel tracts. I don't know if the Internet will still be up or be controlled by the Antichrist, but imagine all the gospel material that's being produced. Maybe I will get to preach during the tribulation. Maybe there'll be some CDs that'll be left around and people will be hungry to know the truth and maybe they'll find these things. And if you do hear it, if you're listening right now, trust Christ. But there'll be a silent witness, we could say Of all the literatures, people are hungry and searching, what has happened? My loved ones are gone. They're they're all disappeared, and and what's going on? Oh hell is breaking loose. Now beloved, do you see the heart that God has for people? Even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of the tribulation time, even in the midst of all hell breaking loose, he says, Come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And he goes to great lengths to get the gospel. But why? Second Peter three, nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. Listen. But his long suffering toward us. Listen. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Say what's the will of God for my life? First of all to come to repentance. To come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the starting point beloved. Everything else doesn't matter. If that's not settled. Get that settled first. He's a gracious God. You see why I say, beloved, that he is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our service. He's a gracious, sovereign God. But he stoops to save sinners like us. He's a promise keeping God. He will keep the promises of God that he made to Abraham. He will bring the nation of Israel back and restore them. Beloved, even in judgment, even in times like this, even in the tribulation time, he remembers mercy. Mercy. And He calls people to Himself. Do you know Him today? Is that settled in your life? Has there been a time when you realized you're a sinner, couldn't save yourself, you're undone, you're lost, condemned, headed to hell? But God in love sent His Son to die for you. He took your sin upon the cross, He shed His precious blood. He was buried and then He rose again victorious says, if you'll turn for your sin and place your faith in me, I'll make you a child of God. I'll forgive your sin, give you a home in heaven, make you there and join air with Christ, bless you with all spiritual blessings heavenly places, take you home one day, prepare a place for you. Do you know him today? I hope you do. If not, I want to invite you to him today. I know, a lot of people say, yes, I know I'm preacher. I'm certain I know that I go home to be with the Lord. I go to the rapture. Well, let me ask you this. How well do you know him today? How well do you know him? Are you fully trusting him? Is your heart full of worship for him? Are you busy serving him? Not because you have to, because you want to, because you love him. Beloved, he is worthy. But not only worthy, as you see today, he's not only worthy. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Do you see the heart he has for people? The heart he has come to me. I want a relationship with you. I want to restore you. I want to forgive you. I want to give you a home in heaven. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. He is worthy of our trust, our worship, and our service. Let's pray. While your head is bowed and your eyes closed, first of all, I want to invite you to the Lord Jesus. If you don't know Him, you can pray right there where you are in your seat. i invite you in a moment to come and let me know you prayed this, but right there where you are, you can call out to Him and ask Him to save you. Pray a very simple prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't want my sin anymore. Best way I know, I turn from my sin and I place my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Save me. Help me live for you. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Save me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. Thank you. For taking my sin upon yourself on the cross. You could pray that right now, friend, and settle that for a moment. I invite you to come and share that with us. We'd love to rejoice with you. But right now you can pray that right in your seat. I think a large number here today have already settled that. Let me ask you, friend. Have you given him your trust? Do you truly trust him? He's worthy of your trust there something you're holding on to that say, "Listen, I'm, Lord, I'm going to take care of this." No, He's worthy of your trust. Difficulties in your life, you say, "I'm going to try to figure this out." No, trust the Lord. He's worthy of your trust. What about your worship? Be honest about it. What's worship for you? Is it something that oh, I might do a little bit on Sundays, or is your life a life of worship? He's worthy of your worship. Finally, your service. Are you busy serving the Lord Jesus? Not because you have to, not because they were asked to, because you want to, you get to. It's a pleasure, it's a joy, because you realize that he's not only worthy, he's wonderful. And you want to serve. Maybe you'd like to come today after we pray and we sing during that song and just praise him afresh and new. Maybe roll some burdens off of you, maybe spend some time in worship, maybe surrender to service, maybe come today and share that you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your heart for us. We know that though we are not worthy in grace and mercy and love, you sent Christ for us. I pray if anybody does not know you, they'll come to you. And if someone met you this morning, they'll come and share that we might rejoice. With them here as the angels are rejoicing in heaven. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Their lives will be filled with trust, worship and service for you alone. Still these truths to our hearts, I pray and work now in Jesus name. Amen. 280 is our closing song. Jesus, keep me near the cross. They're a precious fountain. You prayed to receive Christ. I just what I ask you to do. It. Very simply, you just step out, come down, shake my hands at the Preacher. I prayed to receive Christ. I want to give you some material. I want to help you, I want to pray with you. I just want to encourage you, talk with you about the next step in your journey with the Lord Jesus. You're a believer here today and God's impressed upon your heart, some area, something, you need to come. Listen, we have plenty of space here. You come kneel and pray. He is worthy, he's wonderful of our trust. Our worship and service. You come as we stand and sing 280. Jesus, keep me near the cross. You come.